0: Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Today, our guest is Scott Acton. Scott Acton is a successful entrepreneur, third-generation craftsman, and the founder and CEO of Forte Specialty Construction. He attended Disney University like the generations before him, transformed a two-employee startup up, up to a $12 million a year operation in only two years. He was recently named U.S. Small Business Administration's Small Business Person of the Year and continues three generations of creative execution of the world's most iconic experiential spaces. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, quite the accolades, buddy. Uh, I mean really, like I'm, I've got some questions teed up here about Disney um, you know and stuff like that. so let's, but before we get into it, why don't you um, tell, tell us a little bit more about Scott. What about your background drives your entrepreneurial spirit and, and, and how does a generational approach um, play into that?
1: You know I wish I knew I wish I knew the answer. I think uh, tenacity and just a passion and a love for what I do, I think I was just in the right place at the right time. My grandfather worked with Walt in the 50s, was a plasterer by trade, Oklahoma boy, and moved to Orange County and was lucky enough to get hired on the plastering crew that, that kind of formatted and did the, the Matterhorn and the Pirates of the Caribbean. And so after that, uh, my dad got out of the service, self-taught mechanical animator, really smart guy. And he did the Jaws attraction for Universal, Cone the Barbarian, Dracula's Castle. It was it was just a just an ongoing deal. I was a troubled ADHD kid before that was really a thing, and couldn't, couldn't do an hour in school. So I dropped out in 10th grade and went to work in the shop with a broom at five bucks an hour, cleaning the floors. And and just got little I got assigned little projects, fell in love with it. I've been, I'm 53 now, so I've been in it for longer than I want to admit.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Tell me a little bit more about the Disney experience then, because that was one thing that really, really stuck out when I when I was reading your bio and, and researching a little bit. What does that mean exactly when, when you say you attended so, Disney yeah, University? Yeah.
1: yeah. So I'll take Everyone else has a college on there and I'm a, I'm a high school dropout. But what yeah. happened was I got, I started calling the supervisor of the staff shop there, Dave Grego, and I called him every week for about nine months. And I said, Hey, I'm going to work for you someday. And he's like, we're not hiring a kid. Mm-hmm and it was because my grandfather worked there and my dad worked there i wanted to you know be a part of the magic and so finally uh, he gave me an opportunity and i got on as a you know mold maker in the shop and they posted a sign up they said uh, must have a four year degree and have worked here two years i'd been there six weeks and i thought man that's a position for me and not being politically savvy at all i wrote a letter to the president of the park about everything that was wrong with the staff shop and why it was costing them money and how they could do it differently. And so I became the most hated guy in the staff shop, but I did, I did get sponsored into the management training program, which is Disney university, which is a year long management program. And uh, you know, Dale burner at the time uh, was the the VP of the park and Jack Lindquist was the president. And I was in the Disney university and I wore a suit and tie. And I was literally you know, kind of a fish out of water, but um, you know, we switched it to night shifts and did some things differently in the park, and uh, it was it was an amazing time. Soon after, my dad calls me and says, "Hey, I've got this project in Las Vegas for for Mr. Wynn. Would you come out here and help me build the pirate ships for Treasure Island?" And I'm like, "I'm a ginger. I don't want to live in the desert." And anyway, he talks me into coming out to Las Vegas, and it's supposed to be for an 11 month project. And I've been here 28 years and worked on every casino from Macau to New York, you know, all around the world.
0: That is very interesting. Uh, I don't. I've never met anybody who, who's attended it, especially in the way that you did. Um, so, what was it? Maybe could, could you unpack some details about about what it was like to at Disney University? Then, I mean, what are they teaching you? And is there even an equivalent to that in in place? I, I have
1: no. I have no idea what they call it today, but basically. You were in a classroom half day, and you were supervising half day. and You got to spend time in all the different departments, so you really got to take in the Disney DNA on experience-driven retail, experience-driven you know, experiential dining, experiential shows, experiential rides, uh, management styles. Uh, you you had to come up with your own restaurant concept. You were put with a team of other, you know, young management training people and we had to present why a concept like this would work and do the financial planning for it so it was like a little mini disney mba if you will Mm -hmm. uh like i said it was a short short deal but you know i've got my little certificate on the wall and it was one of the best experiences of my
0: life yeah it sounds like it it sounds unforgettable for sure um how did that lead then what has led you today to where you're at right now and tell us about forte Why, why did you start forte where did that come from
1: so I had sold a bit I was a small businessman of the year in 2006 uh, for a experiential fabrication company still tied to the casinos and the theme parks. I sold that company in 2007 and I started for t- I took two years off during the debacle, the financial debacle mm-hmm. and followed Warren Buffett's uh, advice of uh, when everybody else is running out go in and, and, you know, the construction business was in tatters, people's balance sheets were a mess. And I wanted to, I thought that coupling that experiential knowledge and, and the, the, the kind of the, the Disney side of things, um, building a construction company from the ground up. So Forte is a general contractor licensed in some 15 states and we do anything that's experiential and the biggest part of our business that's exploded now is the luxury residential piece a lot of these visionary developers like mr Wynn, have kind of pushed us into an experiential lifestyle right so don't why not why not wake up in the morning and feel like you're in a a win suite why not you know feel like you're at the four seasons or at disney or wherever right so it's really just about all the senses like everything when you go into a restaurant that's done properly the sound the lighting uh the acoustical, the, the comfort of the seat. The, I mean, the food's only a small portion of the overall experience. And so when you look at how you could live that way um, you know, there's, I don't think there's a lot of people that really get the meaning of that.
0: Yeah, I would say so. And I, I think just by you talking about it, I hope people kind of take a, you know, a little pause the next time they're at a place like that and, and, Unpack it a little bit, because I think we just take those things for granted, especially in Las He's, Vegas. I mean, you go and expect it, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially, especially for brands like that. But you, know, you walk into someone's office, and I've been, I've been fortunate enough to work for someone like that for
0: you know 20 plus years,
1: and so it's really kind of the black ops of construction and execution. You know, people say, well, it's going to take me two years to build that home. You know, we we we've done you know 15 million dollar luxury homes in 12 months or less, right? Because we're trained differently, and and the execution is different. We build like a commercial builder. Um, and so really for a lot of these guys, we're selling time, uh, as opposed to construction. It's really interesting that, you know, a lot of people have money, a lot of people have ideas, but at the end of the day, the big commodity is time.
0: Yeah. And you never get that back, right? No. And then you, you walk,
1: you, you walk into a visionary's office like that. I wonder why, why does everyone have a different chair? Well, before they'll put a chair in a restaurant or anywhere, they'll have the office people switch it around and use it. So when you walk in there, it looks like an eclectic chair, you know, <laughs> warehouse, right? Yeah. But to really understand how your customers are going to feel and how they're going to experience a space that way, like that kind of thoughtfulness and that kind of attention to detail is what it takes to, to you know, reach a level that they've reached.
0: Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of us uh, So this, this podcast is, um, there's a lot of different entrepreneurs that listen to it, a lot of business owners. And one of the things I like to ask other business owners is maybe if you could tell us what are some of the biggest lessons that you learned um, after starting your own companies? Um, If there's just a few that you could pick out.
1: Don't ever give up. You know, that, that's the biggest lesson, you know, um, Schultz, right. For, for Starbucks, 252 no's before he got funding for Starbucks. So if you, if, you, if you take any kind of temporary defeat as failure, don't even start, you know, cause you're gonna fail, you're gonna scratch your nose, you're gonna fall on your face, you're gonna be embarrassed, you're gonna cry, you're gonna lose money, you're gonna, you know, all the things that are gonna happen, they're, they're, you're gonna experience them in, in small business. It's not easy, it's not for everyone. And if you don't have thick skin, you Know, I, w- I would say, don't, don't even try it, and especially the love for it. I think you've got to have a real love for it. It's not just about money. If you're doing it for money, you're also doing it for the wrong reasons, in my opinion. I think you really got to have a fire and a passion for doing what you do.
0: Yeah, I agree. Otherwise, you'll burn out. Exactly. And those failures, you know, that for you to be able to swallow those little those failure pills, I think is really difficult. If it's just purely money, there's no passion involved. Um, No, because I've I've
1: taken some brutal hits along the way and made some galactic mistakes and was able to somehow, you know, emotionally dig myself out of it, get back on the horse and go again. And, you know, the the company that I sold in 07, you know, I'm now billing monthly what I did annually there. This company is going to be over a hundred million this year. So it's, it's. It's just crazy that if you, if you keep going and you've got a sound business model and you do what you say you're going to do and you and you, and you make sure you pick the right clients too. Like they're not all right. It's just, it's a, it's an interesting recipe, but I've got, I've got, uh, you know, I've had, I've had the, the joys of all the way on the top and all the way on the bottom. And the gift of desperation is a gift. It's good to get kicked in the nuts.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, what I like to do, I mean, honestly, when, when I wake up, I, I just, as if you're an entrepreneur, you wake up and you're you're, you're hungry every day, right? I mean, you're always, you're always chasing the next big thing. It's a totally different circumstance than being an employee. Tell us about one thing you touched on just a little bit ago there was not picking the right clients. How do you know to pick them? How do you know to do you have a system where you can just feel out the wrong clients and how to avoid them?
1: I don't have a system for it, but I think it's just sniffing them out and telling them that up front. I mean, I've got a good uh, sniffer, if you will, for people that are going to treat you badly. And I've had enough clients treat us like dog shit for, for, you know, for a multitude of reasons. But people who have to behave that way, I'm not inspired to work for. And so if, if and I ask them that up front, like we just have a no assholes policy. Like if you're going to behave in a certain way, then we're just not a fit. We don't need practice anymore. We have a, we, we're grateful. We're blessed with an amazing backlog and some clients that really appreciate what we do, and having that appreciation along with the the work to do means something. And people that get that will get that.
0: Mm-hmm. How do you tell people no? I mean, directly. Do you just say, "I just don't think I we're say a good it, fit." I say it
1: just like that. If you're going to be an asshole, I'm not going to work for you.
0: Okay. <laughs> you're very straightforward i don't mind that at all i think that i think that's good i think i need to pick up on that sometimes i just give them a like a much higher fee that i know they won't go for um but no i, suppose- I think
1: the, i think the funny part about it is watching their reaction to that that's my that's my
0: test to see what they do right so
1: i had a big you know tech guy scott mcneely you know he did sun Microsystems, he looked at me in the mm-hmm. face and said what's your biggest concern about this project and i said you you're a loose cannon and he laughed and he goes, like you're my guy you're my build."
0: that's hilarious does it, yeah. So if you've had those interactions, then do, do, do those clients, do they, does it somehow like um, maybe, maybe you wouldn't have worked with them in the end, but if you kind of get that out of the way, is that a is that a, a form of an icebreaker that you've found that works for you?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, it's good. It's good to go to have a meal with them as soon as possible because how they treat the wait staff is critical. Mm-hmm. It's like dating. You know what I mean? You mm-hmm. could figure a lot of stuff out. Like if you see that person is beneath you, then I don't want to work with you. Because no matter what your position in the world is, whether you got a billion dollars, you got a, a you know ten cents in your pocket, right? We're all, we're all humans, and we're all going to be on that on that that spectrum at different levels at different times in our life. Nobody's nobody's immune to it.
0: Yeah, I think that's great advice. Um, let's let's switch things up a little bit and tell tell us about since you're you're in the construction industry, and I'm sure you've been hearing it just like we have too, and maybe you're looking forward to it or not, but like as we move towards um, bleeding edge technologies like 3d printing and um, dr- drones or um, automated uh, artificial intelligence being, you know, these robots maybe being able to start building our buildings or, or doing the crafty things for us. Are there, are there any kind of a, do you have your eye on any of those technologies and do, do you see us actually making that move in in the future? Are there any that you are employing currently to, to make your, your, your construction projects happen?
1: Absolutely. So we have the largest 3d printer in Nevada. And so we, we we have, you know, from CNC to water jet cutting to plasma machines, we are a technology company that happens to do construction, right? And so mm. the modeling, the the virtual walkthroughs, the renderings, the experience before you spend the dollars on it to know that it's what you want. I mean, those are all critical elements to success. It's it's how you set it up and how the, the, the work you do up front is, is really going to be, uh, it's going to minimize the adversarial nature of, of the process. People are uncertain. Certain people are scared of it. So the more you can get them comfortable on the front side, the better your chances are of success.
0: How is that technology for Can you give us an example of if we would not have had this technology, it could be a 3d printer or whatever, CNC, where there's something that you just maybe could not have made. Because a lot of people when they, I think, craftspeople artisans, get a little bit nervous about it taking their, their craft away. When in my opinion, it's, all, it's just another tool as a human that you can use to master your craft.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's what you believe, right? So it's the law of compensation. All things are equal for whatever's taken away is added somewhere else, right? So th- that I think is, is, a, is a fundamental belief of mine of that it just makes it it makes it so you can do more, you can create more experiences, right? And so the, the, the 3D printer for the, the uh, universal work we did, we're able to print tooling now, which takes two steps out of the process, which makes projects more affordable, which enhances the experience overall for the kids, right? And so at the end of the day, if you're not doing this to get goosebumps when the kids run into the new Harry Potter land, then you're probably in the wrong business.
0: Yeah. It sounds like it. Um, now, if you, uh, there are other people, a lot of, you know, one of the things is that you mentioned is that you don't have this four-year degree, five-year bachelor's, PhD, whatever on your resume, but you're clearly a successful person. Um, you're very A to Bs from what I can tell and, and you get things done. Do you have any advice for people listening that um, maybe don't want to go on a traditional path of school and would like to do something equivalent to you it doesn't have to be the same kind of business but just do you still see a path for young people moving ahead to where they can bypass the four-year degree like we don't have to do that I'm a big fan of Mike Rowe maybe you are too and and that whole you know we, we need tradespeople. people we, we need we need more people getting into the industry. Yeah, I
1: think that it's absolutely possible. I think that, that your brain is the most creative from like 14 to 24, right? And from there it's down. So if you're gonna sit in a classroom memorizing bullshit, you're never gonna use, like what? How, how much of a good use of time is that? Then real practical experience. I'd get out instead of doing the career I mean, instead of doing the college was, you know, go out and work 10 different industries and figure it out early what you want. That university is always going to be there. You can go get your master's at night. You can go get it. You know, if that's that important, you hang that piece of paper on the wall, it's always going to be there. But, but really digging into what you believe and what you feel from your core, that little, that little germination period, if you will, is, is on fire when you're, when you're younger.
0: Yeah, and you know one of the best pieces of advice I've heard from other people too is that you should uh, you, you should you should try your passion um, before forty at least once because then you have time if you financially if if it, if you go bankrupt or a big like you still have time to recover and maybe get a retirement later on but while you're young it not only not only with the with it being extra creative and, and have more energy I, I think that's that's the time to do it um, one thing we probably are can't get away from talking about is COVID. How how, how have you guys been handling COVID since everything hit this year? Have you guys changed the way you're doing business? Um, Are you guys seeing increased revenue, lowered revenue, all all that kind of stuff?
1: Drastically increased revenue. Uh, COVID's allowed people to pick their place where they want to live. And, and, you know, I think that, that people have looked at their mortality. And so with, with the liquidity that's happening in the market is these, you know, of course our boomers are retiring 10,000 a day, right? So 90% of their net worth is tied up in their little businesses. So now they're finally, you know, being able to say, okay, honey, build the house you want, live where you want, do what you want. And so we're seeing just a boom in, in. People that are building these luxurious homes.
0: How is the, how about the wildfires? Did you guys have any effect, you know? Out, so that's funny. West?
1: That's funny you should say that I was on channel seven news in LA about that. We build out of steel, like non-combustible construction. Mm-hmm. Like how do you not take a look at that and not build out of kindling when you're in the path of a fire, yep. right? So if you're in the backwoods of Malibu or in, in Napa, in those areas, like it's really critical to, to think smart about your building materials. There's a lot of materials out there that are non-combustible that at least will give you a three hour window. And if you have three hour, uh, firewall, the fire will pass you in, in, in most times, you know, an hour.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. And you'll, you survive. And I agree. Are you guys, are you guys having to see, you know, de- out here in Boulder County and, and Western Colorado, one of the things we're having to do is we'll have to do like wildfire mitigation around a new site. Um, and that's mandated. And some people do it voluntarily, but are you guys doing anything besides building with steel? Are there any other approaches you guys are taking?
1: Well, we we look at that, and of course, to make that a part of our protocol. But you know, in some, there's just it's not mandatory in a lot of areas.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, let's kind of wrap things up here. Um, one of the last questions I'd like to ask everybody is: uh, knowing what you know now, and if you could go back in time and give your former self um, advice, what would you tell yourself before starting your companies?
1: What I heard it. I heard it in uh, a, a new book of uh, fear doesn't keep you alive fear keeps you from living and i i probably would have started earlier gone harder and mm. shot further up because you know the there, you know the first one i said i hit and i'm like man i should have added a couple zeros to that one <laughs> you know so so don't, don't be afraid to think really big uh the universe is abundant and its it's there's no limit to what's possible
0: yeah. I really like your attitude. I like how straightforward you are. And I agree, Scott, I wish I would have done the same thing. It's like investing. I'm looking at my, you know, every once in a while I glance at my portfolio and I'm like, man, I should just put more money in. Um, those were good decisions and now the return <laughs> is higher, right? It's, yeah. high, it's hindsight every time, but uh, well, this is fantastic. If people are in the Las Vegas area or if they, they would like to, you know, they're looking to create an experiential, um, an awesome experience with with whatever architecture they're doing and they want to reach out to you, Scott. How can people find and how can they follow you?
1: Uh, Fortedesignbuild.com or uh, DetailMinded on Instagram and my, you know, my office, whatever, call me, text me, email me, whatever you like.
0: Beautiful. All right. Well, thanks for being on the show today, Scott. This is great. Thank you. Great meeting you.